Picture Bride, Chapter 30. By late August, it became evident that Tanferan Assembly Center was to be phased out and that the internees would be sent to Utah. I hate having to pack again, Hannah said dismally. I was finally getting used to this old horse stall. The new camp might be better, Taro said, trying to find a cheering thought. We might have more room, but we won't be in California anymore. The thought of leaving California left Taro with an ache of despair, too. The state had not always been kind to them, but he had always considered it his home. When Kenji and Sumiko knocked on his door, they found Hana and Taro looking bleak <coughs> and discouraged. Have we come at a bad time? Kenji asked. He expressed concern, but he could not conceal his happiness. He was smiling and holding Sumiko's hand. She was dressed in her Sunday clothes, looking self-conscious and a little embarrassed. No, no, please come in, Hana said, brightening. She knew immediately why they had come. Sit down, sit down, Taro urged, moving so the guests might share the bench opposite him. Mama, why don't you make some tea? Hana had already plugged in the hot plate, and as she put the kettle on, she thought gratefully of the gifts Mrs. Davis had brought when she visited them the day before. Ashamed of what their country was doing to the Japanese Americans, ashamed of her own brief moment of doubt, Ellen Davis had joined a group of concerned citizens who organized to assist the Japanese Americans in any way they could. But knowing it was too late to reverse the damage already inflicted, she did everything possible to ease their pain. She had stood in line waiting in the hot sun for two hours, carrying a large basket filled with cookies, nuts, fruit, and candy for Taro and Hana. The visit had exhausted her, but it also helped assuage the terrible guilt she felt as an American. I will serve a little of everything, Hana thought now, for she knew this was going to be a very special occasion. We have some good news, Kenji began. Hana and Taro smiled, waiting, eager to hear what they hoped he would say. Sumiko and I are now engaged and hope to be married before we are sent to Utah. And we wondered, Sumiko continued, if you would act as our go-between, just as a formality, of course. What could be nicer than being go-betweens for a match already made, Taro said, stretching his hands to them both. We would be happy and proud. You've made us happier than we can say, Hana added. Immediately, there was a pleased murmur from the stall next door. The sound of cards being shuffled stopped, and the woman called out, Congratulations, Reverend! You've picked yourself a fine bride! Sumiko's mother, who had been waiting for the proper moment in the conversation, now appeared with a gift wrapped carefully in white paper and red ribbon. Bowing several times to Hana and Taro, she thanked them for bringing Kenji and Sumiko together. Yes, it was Mr. Takeda who introduced us right here on the ramp, Sumiko said brightly. Remember, Kenji? Her eyes were full of love, and Hana felt an ache at the sight. Sumiko was young, but she had the inner strength that would enable her to become a good minister's wife. Hana thought fleetingly of Mary, longing to do for Kenji and Sumiko what had she had been unable to do for her daughter and Joe. We'll see that you have a wonderful wedding and a fine reception, too, she began. Yes, I want a real church wedding, Sumiko interrupted. I've already ordered a gown. It's going to be as though we weren't in camp at all. Hana remembered those words as she sat with Mrs. Mitosa in the front row of folding chairs set up by the church barrack. She was glad she had brought one good dress, and she wore her hat and gloves as she would have done were she in Oakland. She watched Taro as he came down the aisle with Sumiko on his arm, and was pleased to see him looking so proud and happy. At last you were the father of the bride, she thought. Sumiko was radiant in a white satin gown with a froth of a veil. She carried a bouquet of white roses ordered from outside and a flower girl throat through rose petals in her path. It was exactly as Sumiko had wished, as though they were not in a concentration camp at all. Sumiko's friends had obtained rice from the mess hall to throw at the couple as they left the church. Laughing and ducking, Kenji and Sumiko hurried to one of the official cars borrowed for the occasion. 
It was hung with streamers and tin cans and just married signs. As soon as they climbed in, the driver began to honk the horn and the car pulled away. The reception tea was held at the mess hall at four o'clock. When the young couple left, Hannah and Tara watched and waved as the car headed toward the racetrack, where it drove around a half dozen times, honking and stirring up the dust. People shouted and waved as they passed, caught up for a moment in the joy of the event, and a few children tried to run after the car, shrieking with laughter and excitement. But the car could not go beyond the gate, and eventually it left the track to go to a stable at the southern end of the camp. There it deposited Kenji and Sumiko in front of a horse stall, which would be their first home together, and their wedding night was spent in a self-conscious effort to be as quiet as possible in their lovemaking. Sumiko and Kenji volunteered to join the first contingent going to the Topaz Relocation Center. Composed of doctors, nurses, and administrative personnel, this group would prepare the new camp for the internees. Two weeks later, when the departure date for their area was set, Tara wrote to Mary and Joe, Perhaps you could check with the War Relocation Authority or the railroad and find out when our train will pass through Salt Lake City. If you could possibly come to the station, we would be so happy to have a glimpse of you. Even as he wrote, however, he said to Hannah, it might not be so easy for them to learn when our train will pass through. It might be in the middle of the night. I know, Hannah said. I'm not going to expect them. Then I won't be disappointed if they don't come. In their last days at Tanfran, Taro converted their furniture into crates for shipping their belongings to Utah. Hannah, seeing the disorder of their possessions, was, afraid, was afraid the inspectors might reprimand them for having too much. But Tara reassured her that they had no more than anyone else. Besides, he said, we'll need all these things when we get to Utah. You'd better take everything, their neighbor called, leaping into their conversation. I'm filling up my barrel, and I know I'll be glad to have everything at the new camp. You're probably right, Hannah agreed, and she completed her packing time with no further concern. When it was time to leave Tanfran, Hannah was surprised at her reluctance to move from their shabby horse stall, but knew it was only the pain of still uprooting and parting. Are you ready to go? She called to Sumiko's mother. Mrs. Mitosa was coughing again. Hannah had often heard that rasping cough in the middle of the night and worried about her. Yes, she answered hoarsely. I'm ready. Well, I'm not, her other neighbor called. I've still got to put things in my shopping bag. We'll see you in Topaz then, Hannah said to her. The loquacious woman, like the horse stall itself, had become comfortable and familiar, for neither possessed a shred of pretense. They simply were what they were and nothing more. Hannah had learned something from the woman, even though she was often a meddlesome fool. Take care of yourself, she said, and don't miss the train. Once again, their baggage was inspected at the departure area before they were assigned members. Then they waited until they were called to board the train, walking single file between a row of armed guards. Tara was astonished to see gaslight pictures on their coach. They must have pulled this car out of storage, he observed. It must be some kind of relic. Hannah could not keep her eyes from the window. A vast crowd of those who remained behind were jammed against the fence, waving to those who were going ahead. It reminded her of the farewells of the dock in Yokohama when her ship had sailed for America. The train could have been her ship and she could have been leaving Japan again. Hana could no longer see the church friends who had come to see the mock, but she waved to the sea of faces and the hands waved back like a field of moving grain. The train gave a heaving lurch and began to move slowly. Hannah watched silently as the rows of barracks and stables clustered inside the barbed wire fence slowly slipped from view. Goodbye, Japan. Goodbye, Tanfaran, she whispered.